All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel chapter number 7, that PA is sounding perfect, brother. Just keep it right there. Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to read a few verses, and then Mrs. Berg will come up, okay? I think I called her Miss, so we got to get, get that out of my mind, all right? Uh, we're going to ask the Lord to bless this service here. Of course, the, la- the last hour, uh, we had a good crowd for that hour, and uh, we got through most of the material, uh, but I had to go a little faster and leave out some stuff. But I really want to give you everything that the Lord has put on our heart this morning. I think it'll be helpful. If you do have anxiety, you might want to go out. And uh, I'm kidding, all right? But uh, uh, we are living in some very interesting times. And I want to uh, just look at the Bible and sort of get some understanding of what the Bible says uh, in, uh, in these days. Daniel chapter 7 is where we'll be. And uh, we'll pick it up in verse number 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon... Daniel had a dream, and visions of his head were upon his bed. He wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and the four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man. And the man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. And it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, behold, and lo, another like a leopard, which, uh, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had uh, great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the uh, beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Behold, in his, this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and speaking great things. And this morning, we're going to be preaching on the subject, the bear is on the move. The bear is on the move. You pray with me and for me. This morning, Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for the days that we live. Thank you that our eyes are able to see what they see and hear what they hear. And Lord, every day is a new day in prophecy. I pray you'd help us. I pray God, all of us would apply what we learned today to challenge our Christian living. I pray we would not leave here the same. I pray we'd leave here different. Change us this morning. Thank you for those that are joining us online, the 20 or 30 that are online watching We do thank you for them. I do pray that you would touch hearts, that the word of God would go forth. If there's one here this morning in this service or one online that's not saved, God, I pray that they would open their hearts to the gospel, that they would get saved before it's eternally too late. But for those that are in Christ, we pray you would challenge us today, and we pray you'd help us to leave here as we pray, different than we came. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The bear's on the move. 
I want to say a few things here. In, in the book of First Chronicles, if you remember chapter 12, where it says that the children of Issachar had understanding of the times, that they might know what Israel ought to do. And it's interesting that there are some people in Israel's time, the children of Issachar, that knew uh, the times. They knew sort of where they were. And with knowing that, they were able to know what to do. And it's having understanding of the times is where we're at today. We're, we're much closer to an incredible time period coming, or the end days, that we should know uh, the, and understand the times that we're living. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked the multitudes because they were able to tell the weather. They were able to look at the lowering of the skies, but they could not discern the signs of the times. And it was a rebuke that, yeah, you can, you can tell the weather, but you can't tell the, the times. And if you remember that the children of Israel, at least in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, did not know the time of their visitation. They did not know and understand the times that they were in. And I would dare say that this morning that if you're not careful, we can see all these events that we're living in, experiencing, and not know the times that we're in. We are in one of the most amazing times in human history. In fact, the book of Daniel... As I mentioned in the the 9 o'clock hour, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are like a hand in glove. And as you study the book of Revelation, you can study the book of Daniel, and they go sort of hand in hand. Incredible incredible detail in both Daniel and Revelation. And and again, uh, both are uh, very informative on the days that we're living in today. In fact, Daniel was told in chapter 12, verse 9, to shut up the words of this prophecy for they, are, they are for the end. They are there for the last days. They're not for the days that he would. And can you imagine how frustrating that would be to get an incredible revelation and then just shut this book because it's not for you, Daniel. It's for later. And that's where we're at today. And we're told to know the times. In fact, Paul admonishes the church in Romans chapter 13. It says that knowing the times, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For some have not the knowledge of, of God. I speak this to your shame. And so I'm saying this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that Bible prophecy, though it's a very silent subject in churches today, you go a long way and not find a church that preaches and teaches Bible prophecy. And uh, I think it's likely due to the fact that people don't really care about the return of Jesus Christ. But they have to understand and concern themselves with at least the events that are happening in our world that are, are indeed Bible prophecy because God tells us the end. He knows the end from the beginning. So I, li- I don't know about you. I'd like to know what happens in the end. That's eschatology or the study of future events. And so we are to know the times. We are to understand the times. But we're not to fear the times. And I think we all know that Second Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7 says that uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And so if this subject this morning causes you to fear today, God has not given you that spirit. That's not coming from him. Uh, the spirit of prophecy, the Bible references, is, a, is the spirit of Christ. And I'm saying this morning, the Bible has a lot to say about prophecy. And so our text this morning takes us into a very interesting precursor to something that is huge. You ever put a puzzle together? I don't know if you've ever done this before, but some of those thousand-piece puzzles and those 1,500 or 2,000-piece puzzles, or even those big ones, that you put a piece of the puzzle in the wrong spot. You ever do that? I mean, the colors matched, and it, for the most part, 
fit, but it, didn't, it wasn't a perfect fit. You think, you, you logic it away. You say, okay, it was a manufacturer defect. I know that part goes there. You all with me? I've done that. And then you get to the end of the puzzle, and you're missing that piece. It's not fitting right. And so you have to go back and pull that out and say, ah, it doesn't go there. It goes over here. I'm thinking this morning, as you look at this, as you look at the Bible, especially prophecy, there are this is a puzzle piece, and, and down through the centuries, people are putting puzzle pieces together. But the more we get into events in the last days, the more the puzzle sort of makes, uh, makes sense. One of the puzzle pieces that have been difficult to really place, at least the timing of it, is the battle of Gog and Magog. Now, we're not going to go there this morning, Ezekiel 38 and 39. We've covered this before. But this Gog, Gog and Magog battle is something that theologians down through the centuries have had a hard time really knowing where that goes. Uh, we do know that it's not Armageddon, uh, but this battle will change the world forever, at least until the Armageddon. Uh, it'll change really the face of the earth. And you'll find that Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, God devotes to entire chapters to the details of this particular battle. And I want you to know that as you study this, this uh, takes place with a massive, massive federation of nations that are going to descend from the north and come down to the land of Israel. And I want you to note that uh, we cannot confuse Gog and Magog uh, with the Gog and Magog of Revelation chapter number 20, uh, there's a different battle. It's the same prince that, that it oversees it, the prince of Gog. It's a, it's a demon, uh, and he is still there in Revelation 20. But it is a different battle because at the end of the battle, there's two different outcomes. There's two different, if you would, uh, approaches to that particular battle, and it's different. And so, again, you put a piece of a puzzle in the wrong spot, pull it back out, and relook at it. Two different battles. I call Gog and Magog 1, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and Gog and Magog 2 in Revelation chapter 20. Another thing we cannot confuse Gog and Magog with is the battle of Armageddon. If you look at the, uh, a lot of commentaries, they'll just automatically take Gog and Magog and throw it in as Armageddon. But Armageddon is different because it's a king of the east that comes down against the Antichrist. And you'll find details given to that in Revelation chapter 11 and 12. And so this is, has nothing to do with the king of the east. This is the king of the north. This is a king that's coming down from the north and then in from the east. Northern Africa is part of this. And so a lot of big, big players in this battle. We're not going here this morning, but I think it's good to mention that this coalition uh, of nations, it is orchestrated by Russia. Here's a bigger picture of it, sort of the big picture of Gog and Magog. Uh, you have Rosh, you have Meshach, Magog, Tubal. Persia, which is present-day Iran, is also a big player in this. Northern Africa, by, uh, by chance, is Turkey also, who is a NATO nation that's going to come down against, uh, against Israel, uh, against the mountains of Israel. That's where the battlefield is going to take in verse number 8. We find in verse number 5 of Ezekiel 38 that there's a hook in the jaw of Gog. In other words, he's going into this doesn't necessarily want to get pulled into it, but where that hook is, it's pulling them, them along with these other coalitions of nations into this massive battle. God is going to do this. And it's really for a purpose uh, on one side, humanly speaking, from the, uh, from the 
prince of Russia or Gog, the spiritual demon. It's to take a spoil and to take a prey. So the reason why they're going to do it is they need some income. They need some spoil. And so they're going to the land of Israel to get it along with these other nations. But God is doing this to glorify himself. God is going to do this battle here, perform this battle for an incredible glorification for the children of Israel to see his glory. Because he's going to destroy all these nations with a one weapon. It's the weapon he calls for a sword. This is incredible. That all the mountains uh, shake and fall flat. So you talk about a weapon of mass destruction. God has a huge one that's never been opened. And the weapons of his indignation are going to be unleashed on that battle. Gog is going to be completely obliterated in this battle from Gog. So this is in the future. We don't know when it is. We don't know if it's in the tribulation period. We don't think it's Armageddon. And we don't think it is the battle of Gog and Magog in Revelation 2. So it's sometime between now and the return of Christ or into the tribulation period. Here's why we know that. Because the only time in human history that Persia had ever fought against Israel was with the Ottoman Empire. They never had a, uh, a coalition with Russia and Turkey and, uh, and northern Africa to go to Israel. So this battle has never taken place. Another interesting thought here is that Syria, not too far from all this, the Bible says Damascus shall be a ruinous heap. That's never happened. Uh, Damascus is the longest continuous city in, in all of humanity. Uh, it is the oldest city in, in the world, and it's never been a ruinous heap. There's been a lot of turmoil, but it's never been a ruinous heap where you could not dwell in Damascus. So that's going to take place in the future, and that just happens to be in the area north of Israel. So I'm saying, as you look at this, we're in sort of a very interesting time. We're in a time where this battle cannot be placed as the piece of the puzzle that we've already thought, oh, that's Armageddon, or that's Gog and Magog too at the kingdom and I would say, as you re-examine that piece, it could be before that. And I would say, as you look at this, I believe that this war, this war here, will unleash a series of events that are irreversible, and the events will take the entire world all the way to Armageddon. It'll sort of usher in the, uh, the kingdom of the Antichrist, and ultimately the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, all the way to Armageddon. So this sort of changes everything. Uh, in terms of the time period. In fact, God, as I mentioned, has set chapters aside for the details of this battle. And so I want you to note here, it is different. It is a very difficult place to put. Now, why are we saying that? Because Daniel chapter 7 gives some very interesting insight, maybe even insight to preceding events before the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. And so something, I think, just looking at it, again, is a piece of the puzzle. It could be or could not be. I don't ever want to be dogmatic and say it's got to be this way. Anytime we deal with future events, we see through a glass darkly. So we are looking at this thing through Bible prophecy. That's why Sir Isaac Newton spent his whole life studying the book of Daniel. And why? Because it is an incredible book. And anyone that says they got it all figured out, just kind of tap them on the head and say, see you later, brother. You just don't know. There's so much in this book that we just don't understand. But I'm going to give you some things I think that will give you some things to think about. And uh, as you know, there's a man by the name of Vladimir. Vladimir Putin. And Vladimir's name means conqueror. And uh, by the way, uh, Vladimir, uh, 
uh, Zelensky is the, uh, is the king, if you would, or the president of Ukraine. Vladimir and Vladimir are the same names. The founder of, uh, of Ukraine, the first noted prince of Ukraine, was back in 900, uh, I think, A.D., and uh, B.C., rather, B.C., and was named by the prince by the name of Vladimir. That's interesting. And Vladimir Lenin was the first founder of Russia or the USSR. You just can't make that up. Uh, conqueror. This is what his name means. He's not just any old Joe. He's been sort of the president, uh, you know, in and out for the last uh, 22 years. He came to uh, the leadership, the prime minister or the president of Russia in 2000. And it is noted that also that he had called the Soviet Union's collapse the greatest geopolitical catastrophe in recent human history. And so he is an ex-KGB agent. Uh, he is a powerful man. In fact, he had a troubled childhood, went into the military, and he is a devoted, dedicating himself in his life to reversing the catastrophe, and I'm quoting, the catastrophe and restoring Russia to what he sees as its rightful position as a formidable world power. Vladimir Putin is no, uh, he's not a sick man. He is a brilliant military leader. Don't listen to the news. This guy's got it together. Uh, he is, and don't underestimate who he is. Uh, he is, uh, he is annexed already Georgia and Moldova and here last week into Ukraine. I listened to his four, full speech in, night, in a few, uh, few days before the invasion, 45 minutes of a history lesson that he was giving the world about his ambitions to restore Russia back to the USSR borders, uh, which, of course, would involve taking Ukraine. He's already been successful. He is widely loved. He's, he isn't finished. And so biblically, biblically speaking, uh, he is wanting Russia to return to the world power. And it does have prophetic importance. The Europeans still remember the violent ways in which Russia uh, was in World War II and what they did. Uh, any one of those, uh, any, any veteran here this morning knows that when you trained in the military, uh, as we did, we train under Russian military doctrine. And one of the ways that they t- attack is through massive force. Uh, we, uh, in our training, uh, in National Training Center in Fort Irwin, California, uh, we would be sort of in our positions, and they really didn't care uh, about peripheral uh, issues. Uh, for example, like small little uh, Charlie Company over here or 11 Bravo. They came, and they, they just, they would, like a bear, just plow and it's a massive thing. Talking about something very intimidating. You wake up early in the morning at 5, 6 in the morning, look across the desert, desert floor, you see a cloud of dust coming with the smoke, and then behind them tanks. And it's just a massive, you know, the whole ground sort of shakes. Very, very interesting. And they've studied Russian doctrine and how they attack. And what they do is basically overrun their opponent. Europe knows what Russia has done and what Russia is capable of doing. And that right now, there's, of course, even talk of nuclear war. And so things are rapidly, if you would, approaching a, uh, a, a series of events that cannot be reversed. Russia is right now undergoing massive political convulsions. And, uh, and first and foremost, Russia is 
led by a pragmatic and even a ruthless nationalist by the name of Vladimir Putin. It is not by accident that um, the day that he walked in to, uh, to Ukraine, uh, the 24th, the invasion date was the 24th of February, 2022. And uh, it's not by accident that he came in on this date. On the 21st, he made the announcement that he is going to invade. 160,000 soldiers on the borders with the equipment. And I said to the Bible study Tuesday night, he's going to invade. And uh, even those in Ukraine did not believe he was going to do it. And on the 24th, he did. 21st, he announced it. 24th, he began the full-fledged invasion. And I listened to it. I uh, listened to the speech. And it's just very interesting that is coinciding with another event. There's a, there's a man by the name of George Kennan. I want to introduce you to this guy real quick. George Kennan. Let me just see quick. George Kennan was the first ambassador to Russia in 1933. Well, well, I mean, this is the zenith. This is the, this is the, uh, the pinnacle of USSR. Uh, 1933. Uh, this is uh, 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution. They are in full swing. And, uh, and he is the first guy that was able to become an ambassador into Moscow. And so he knew Russia. He understood Russia. Uh, there's a thing called a long telegram. I would encourage you to read it. The reason why it's called a long telegram, because it's an 8,000-word telegram. It was sent to the president, President Truman. And uh, in the post-war, 1946, there was sort of a, a soft, you know, hey, we're friends with the Russians. And the reason was because both Russia and America, and even Britain, were able to defeat Nazi Germany. And we all sort of did that together. And so there was sort of a, hey, we're good, right? Fist pumping, you know, so we're good. Well, Kenim knew that there was a soft stance to Russia. This is an incredible document. I would encourage you to read it. And uh, and it was among sort of uh, uh, the document that sort of shocked Washington. And Washington did change their entire stance on dealing with the USSR. Here's what this lengthy memorandum basically said, that there is a permanent peaceful coexistence is not possible with Russia. One will advance or the other will advance, but they cannot peacefully coexist. There needs to be a stronger stance. And so what happened is that America, the West, took a much stronger, not only financial, but a military stance against Russia in 1946. Now, that document was sent on February, listen to this, February 22nd, 1946. And Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. It's almost as if Vladimir Putin didn't accidentally set that date. That date was set up for a purpose of sending a message to the West that what you thought in 1946, as he stands against Russia, things are now going to change. Very interesting research on that. And so as you look at this, the larger question we have to ask is, is there a future war with the involvement of Russia? And of course, yes, there is. And with several, several biblical references. But as you look at this, Daniel is one that we have overlooked several years ago. And there's a reason for that. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, and I have it up on the screen for, uh, for those that uh, don't have the time. to. You should turn to it and see it yourself. But it says in verse number 1, 
And the first year of Belshazzar. It's interesting that the first year of Belshazzar, in Daniel chapter number 6, Belshazzar's done, man. Belshazzar's killed. Remember, the Medes and Persians came in and destroyed the Babylon. And so, so now we have, the, we have the Medes and Persians as the next world empire. So the first year of Belshazzar comes in after chapter 6. That's why a lot of people think, man, we got two books of Daniel. Daniel 1 or chapter, or 1 Daniel and 2 Daniel. 1 Daniel would be chapter 1 through 6. 2 Daniel would be chapter 7 through 12 because they're different. There's a lot more insight given between chapter 7 and chapter 12 in the last days than the first. But what we've done here is we've taken chapter, chapter 7 and we compared this with Daniel chapter 2. And they just don't fit. Not, not, like again, the colors might be right. There might be a right shape. But it doesn't fit perfectly. Here it is. The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. I already read it, but I want you to see verse 3. There's four great beasts. Look at the first one. First one's a lion. And it had eagle's wings. Look at the second one. Uh, chapter, verse number 5. Uh, and it says, behold, another beast, the second, uh, like a bear, and it raised itself up. And then behold, verse number six, there's a leopard, and which had four wings of a fowl. And then this fourth beast is, uh, is one that is dreadful and terrible, according to verse number seven. And so as you look at these four beasts, I want you to note real quick here, that you, your first beast, uh, a lion, eagle's wings, second beast is a bear, third beast is a leopard with four wings and four heads. That's interesting looking. And then you have the fourth one's different than the first three. It was dreadful, it's terrible, it's exceedingly strong, it's got iron teeth. Reading through these uh, and studying these, three of uh, four have composite, uh, they're composite, if you would, beasts. One has a lion and eagle's wings, and the uh, three has uh, the leopard with four wings, and the, the other one's four, it's different, it's all, but not the bear. The bear is just one bear. This is not like a bear with eagle's wings or a bear with a woman's hair. Or no, it's just a bear, okay? It's a bear. And so as you look at this, this is no doubt a reference to a kingdom. In fact, if you just let the Bible uh, interpret itself, look down in verse number 17. Let's see what it says here. Daniel chapter uh, uh, 7, verse 17. These, are, these great be- uh, uh, beasts are what? which are four, are four what? Kings, okay? So looking at the, the, just the interpretation of it, these are four beasts, and they have a king. So what we've done here with a piece of puzzle, we've taken this piece of puzzle in Daniel chapter 7, and we took in uh, Daniel chapter 2, we put them together. Daniel chapter 2 is giving you the, uh, uh, the vision was to Nebuchadnezzar, gold head, silver uh, uh, breast, uh, brass uh, thighs, iron legs, and then we have the iron and the clay toes. And so we have Babylon, Medes and Persians, Greece and Rome, which would be the four world empires. Medes and Persians came after Babylon, then Greece, and then Rome. And then many people are saying, well, the, the, the toes, the iron toes, and the clay toes, the revised Roman Empire. We don't know that. But I'm saying they're, they, they're, they cannot coexist. All right? So what we've done is we've taken chapter 7 and said we've got four beasts, so let's kind of put them together. Well, yeah, but you've got five different areas in, in, the, in the image. And they say, well, the, the lion is Babylon, the bear is Medes and Persia, Greece is this leopard with wings, and then we've got this weird, weird one that has all kinds of eyes as being Greece. 
All right? Piece of the puzzle, put it together, looks pretty good, right? And that's what we have looked at and assumed, and it might be. I'm not saying it's not, or, or it could be a dual fulfillment. Whatever Daniel chapter 7 is may have happened already under Medes and Persians, but it could be a dual fulfillment, meaning it is going to be fulfilled again. Much like when Babylon was destroyed, Babylon will be destroyed again in the book of Revelation and Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51. So if you skip down to verse number 19, it gets really interesting. Skip down to verse number 19 because of time. I'm going to see if I can move through this real quick. Look at this fourth. This is some insight to the fourth beast. And here's why we know this whole thing is going somewhere. Then would I know the truth of the fourth beast. The ghost started working through this. It was diverse from the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were iron, his nails, his brass, which devoured, breaking pieces, stamped the residue of his feet. So this beast, man, this, is a, this beast is a massive beast. It's a devouring beast. It's not the bear. It's not the leopard. It's not the lion with the, with the wings, okay? It is the fourth beast. And it says in verse number 20, he had 10 horns on his head. And watch this. And the other which came up, and before them three fell, even the horn that had eyes in his mouth spake great, very great things, uh, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Now this is talking about the Antichrist. So the fourth beast, ladies and gentlemen, is the kingdom of the Antichrist. We know that based on verse number 19. Verse 19 through verse 23 is interpreting verse number uh, 6 for us. It's kind of giving us the interpretation. Fourth beast is the Antichrist. Talk about the kingdom, verse number 11. Rather, verse number 22, it says, Until the Ancient of Days come, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And that's the kingdom that's speaking about the kingdom. So all that kind of finishes up. The kingdom is ushered in. But look at verse 24. And the ten horns out of the kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and shall be diverse from the first. Then he, this is, that was talking about a personal pronoun, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall uh, wear out the saints of the Most High, and think the change the times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until the time, and times, and the dividing of times." Anytime you've been here a length of time, you understand we're dealing with prophecy here. We're dealing with three and a half years. Time is one, times at least two, and a dividing of time is a half. Three and a half. Cross reference that with Revelation chapter 12, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. You find 42 months mentioned, and you also find 1,260 days. On a Jewish calendar, that's three and a half years. Y'all with me so far? So we get here to chapter, the end of this chapter, at least the fourth beast is kind of described. It's the Antichrist, okay? And he's going to come on the scene. Now, the Antichrist is destroyed at Armageddon. The new kingdom is ushered in. Praise God, the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to be in that thing. It's going to be wonderful. The lion will lay down with the calf, and the children will be able to play with snakes in those days. What a day that'll be. I don't even want to play, I don't even want to play with them. When, that's crazy. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I just uh, to bring myself to pick up one of those snakes in the millennial reign, that's going to be a difficult one. But anyway, the point is this. There is coming a time where the judgment is going to come on this world. The Antichrist will be destroyed, and it will usher in the millennial reign of Christ. You'll find Daniel 9, ch- chapter 24, verse 24 through verse 27, more insight given to that in that time, the desolation, uh, the, the abomination of desolation, what makes desolate will come in. He'll desecrate the temple. The Antichrist will set himself up as God. He said, you will now worship me. That will be done at the three and a half year mark. 
And uh, Revelation 12, you can plug that in there because, man, that's going to cause the worst holocaust on the Jews that I've ever seen. The Antichrist will, will, will hunt them down. But God is going to destroy them all at Armageddon. But you look at this, Daniel 7 is, is giving us this possible piece of a puzzle. Now, there's a bear. I don't think he's going to be a friendly looking bear. I'm going to put him a little mean. This is for the kids. All right, we'll keep him up there. Just keep, you know, so anxiety happens. It doesn't happen, all right? So we know this. Revelation, or Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. We're dealing with a question that was asked to Jesus Christ. What is the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? And he started giving them. Well, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to have kingdom, rise against kingdom. You're going to have earthquakes in diverse places. Pestilences, not one, but many. Pestilences. These are all sort of the beginning of sorrows. The end is not yet. All these things shall come to pass. But kingdom is going to rise against kingdom. Then there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Now, we're not even in a rumor of war. There's a war right now. There was a rumor of war two weeks ago. Now, there is a war. Okay? All that is in Matthew 24. is explaining to us in detail that there's going to be all of these events. So, when we look at verse 17, we know that that bear is a kingdom. Okay? Let's get back to the mean bear. Okay? With the red eyes. I don't know. We found this one here. Addison, she helped me big time. She's, she is the girl when it comes to a keynote. I appreciate her. She put all this together for me. What this bear is? Who is this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Probably not a friendly bear. We know that he's, uh, he's going to destroy. He's going to devour much flesh. And Russia, on their own accord, they really didn't want to be called a bear, but the world community sort of named Russia's mascot a bear. Their actual official mascot is a two-headed eagle. But the world looks at Russia as the bear. You could go through this and, and just see uh, just different advertisements of Russia, you know, going after Ukraine, Putin's reset, all bear. I mean, there's hundreds of these online all over the place. You can see just USSR, Russia, Russian stamps being bears. I'm saying it's not by accident that the world community today looks at Russia as a bear. Are you all here? They're not officially uh, a bear, but the world looks at them as a bear. And it's, uh, it's interesting that this bear is referenced as Russia. Now look at the verse here. This is where it gets interesting. And it says in verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second, like a what? A bear. Now watch what it does here. And it says, And it raised up itself on one side. If you look at commentaries, you'll find, well, here's the lopsided bear, the Medes and Persians. And they start explaining away how the Medes and Persians were the lopsided bear. It says in verse 5, let's look at the verse here, it raises up on one side. So, that means that one side is still down, while one side is up. One side is at rest, and the other side is on the move. It's the lopsided bear. I'm saying this because... The weeks leading up to the buildup on the Ukraine border, the Bible, the, uh, the, the, the news has told us that Russia has removed a lot of his military equipment from the Chinese border and the Mongolian border 
and move them over to the UK, Ukrainian border or one side. He's not fighting a two-sided battle. He's up on one side's at rest. The other side's on, if you would, moving, the bear moving. That's what it says here, that this bear is up on one side. What I've done is I've taken sort of a, a little liberty here, and I started studying bears in the Bible. I didn't realize how many times the word bear is used in the Bible. I didn't realize it's a big subject. You know, and I just put this out here real quick here. When I was a kid, I don't know how old I was, eight, nine years old, or whatever it was, 11 years old, 1978, my, mama took, my mom took me to watch a movie called Grizzly Bear. Tell you what, it changed my life right there. Changed my life. I hate bears. Hey, I hate teddy bears, rubber bears, bears. I even go to the zoo. I, I just can't stand looking at bears. Scare me to death. And then I have to take the trash out at night. It's about scared, man. Yeah, we had a missionary tell us about the, grizzly, the uh, polar bears up in Alaska where they hunt you and they cover their nose because it's black. Oh, I have dreams of that stuff at night where the polar bears look in your window on the second floor. Scares me after that. So bears in the Bible is a thing, okay? I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but you remember when David was standing before Saul? Saul saying, you know, you're going to fight this Goliath. I mean, what are you? You're just a lad, man. It's a way you can fight. Well, he starts to rehearse sort of what his experiences was in terms of a lion and a bear. Here's what he says, that God delivered him out of the paw of a bear. So I started thinking about how powerful that thing must be. I started researching what a paw would do, the paw of a bear. They have record, uh, Tom, that a bear paw, in a full swing of a bear paw, can, listen to this, can knock a moose's head clean off. Now, what could it do to us? I mean, I'm thinking about, so this is why I have a, a validated fear of bears. <laughs> I'm telling you, bear paws are not something you want to mess with. They say these, these claws are, are like, like, like sharp, not razor sharp, but they'll tear you to shreds, a bear paw. And a bear paw will come way out ahead. They say it's more dangerous than this jaw because it'll grab, it'll pull, it'll shred, and it'll tear. That's what the Bible says. That David says he delivered me out of the paw of the bear. So God has something to say about the paw of the bear. It's sharp. Another interesting thing about the bear is the bear has the ability to be patient. Now, as you, if you've been here any length of time, you know that I've taken uh, a trip into Russia when I was 22 years of age. I was just out of the military, and we were taking uh, Bibles into Russia. We were taking medication into the underground church. We were, um, we were doing, we'll be trying to bring some cash in. The, US, the, uh, the Russian ruble crashed in 92 after the fall of the, uh, of, the, of the communism, so-called. And so we were basically coming into the underground church. It had been persecuted for over 50-something years. And so we were there sort of to help them. It was an incredible trip. Changed my life to, uh, to be there, to see that. But um, I went to the, uh, the University of Moscow has a, a war... Uh, uh, a, a, a war college, and in that war college, they have studied the ability and the tactics necessary to take the West and destroy the West. This is not something by accident. He didn't just uh, wake up one day, you know what, I'm going to go to Ukraine. This is a planned 
invasion that is not going to stop with Ukraine. Why do I say that? Because Lamentations chapter 3, it says, again, God is speaking, uh, uh, Jeremiah is speaking about the judgment of God on his nation. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Interesting. Verse 10. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait. So God shows that a bear can lie in wait. And I looked at the word or phrase lying in wait. It's a criminal law. Lying in wait refers to an act of hiding and waiting for an individual with the intent to kill or to inflict serious bodily injury. And so what a bear can do is sort of wait for you. <laughs> Y'all with me? Here's about bear spray. I'd have a case of that stuff, man, if I was walking out and where bears are. I'd have a, I'd have a, a bazooka gun. Those things will lie in wait, wait for you, ambush you. That's what a bear will do. A bear will lie in wait. Patience, patience, patience. Let him come, let him come. So a bear, number one, has a very dangerous paw. And a bear can lie in wait and involves premeditation, planning, patience, watching. So when a bear lies in wait, it's about to attack. Interesting. Another thing about a bear is that they become very fierce. Oh, just looking at that. There are three references in the Bible about when a bear can become very, very dangerous. They all deal with the same thing. In fact, the Bible talks about in 2 Samuel chapter 17, you remember the story, Hushai is the spy that's coming back to, ba- to Absalom. You got Hithophel. Hithophel was the, the guy, the traitor that went against David. And he's trying to tell Absalom what to do. I mean, th- there's a big coup in the kingdom. Long story short, Hushai's there. He's the inside guy. He's working for David. And he's trying to confuse the, uh, the council of Ahithophel. Now, here's what he says in verse number 8 of, of 2 Samuel 17. He's talking about a bear. He said, Hushai, thou knowest thy father and his men, and they are mighty men, and they are chaffed in their minds. In other words, they're wore out as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. He says, you know how David right now is, he's, he's irritated. And the reason why he's, he's like, he's, he's as irritated as a bear when a bear is robbed of her whelps or her cubs. Chapped in the mind. Another interesting reference is in Proverbs 17. The Bible says, let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Can I just stop here and say this? If you're foolish this morning, it is safer for you to be, to be really encountering a she-bear that you have both of her cubs in your hand than to meet the folly because of your fool, foolishness. Just lay that in there. Don't underestimate your foolishness. Your folly will catch up with you, and it's dangerous to you. Let a man meet a bear, robbed of her whelps, than a man in his folly, a fool in his folly. You all with me today? So I'm saying this morning, again, another interesting reference to a bear that is being robbed of her whelps, what she does. Hosea chapter 13 also talks about the same sort of situation where a bear is bereaved of her whelps. Hosea 13, verse number 8. And I'm saying this, that bears can become fierce when you take away something that belongs to them. And they will attack. Fierce. 
absolutely fierce. Now, I'm not saying this is absolutely the truth. Yeah, I don't know this, but this is the boundary of the former Soviet Union. It included Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, Georgia, all the southern countries there disbanded in 1991, and they went back to the borders way beyond that, and Russia was sort of robbed of her country, of the ones that were hers, so to speak. Robbed from those, and that bear, okay, is now fierce. And he made it very clear in the speech that he made to the world two weeks ago that we're going to restore the borders of 1917 of the USSR. That's good. Another thing about bears is bears can attack. I don't know about you. If I saw that thing, you know, I'd, I'd be looking to just outrun someone that's with me. And I can't run fast, but I would be running fast that day. Bears will attack innocent people. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, remember Elisha? Elijah was bald-headed, okay? He was just a bald-headed preacher, all right? And uh, so he uh, was uh, walking along, and 42 kids come out of the Sunday school class, and they start, they start making fun of him, thou bald-head, thou bald-head. And so they start making fun of the bald-head guy. And, and watch this. Elisha calls for two she-bears to come and rent them. And two, two she-bears, two female bears, killed 42 children. It's in the Bible. It's not in the Greek. That's right in English. Rent them. Destroy 42 children. So why did God let that? That's not the moral of the story is this. Elisha should not work in children's ministries at a church. Stop right, stop right there. Just keep him out of. There are some people you don't put in junior church or nursery. Just yell with me. It just doesn't. Not good. But the other thing is, is that the she-bears had no problem taking 21 kids each and destroying, rending them, killing them. So bears, I'm just giving you biblical word bear that comes up. Dangerous, fierce. So go back to Daniel chapter number 7 and look in verse number 5 with me again. And again, when God shows us what a bear is capable of doing, a very interesting reference to how a bear attacks. Now listen to this. In Hosea 13, verse 8, I read the first part of that verse. Here's what it says in the last part. And will rend the cowl of their heart. I'll read the whole verse. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the cowl of her heart. What is that? The cowl or the surrounding of the heart. It's interesting that a bear attacks the rib cage. Where lions attack the, the throat or the neck. When a bear attacks, he attacks the ribs or attacks the cowl of the heart, which surrounds that heart. He goes for the heart. That's what bears do. It's their nature. You ever see one of those? Um, it's, yeah. They're going for the heart. Going, and you notice what the bear had in his mouth in this verse. Verse number five. Like a bear, he's raised up on one side, so he's not fighting both sides. And here's what this prophecy is. He had three ribs in his what? Mouth. Okay. 
We have three ribs in the mouth and specifically between the teeth of it. So the bear has three ribs that's now ripped from the carcass. They're in his mouth. They're destroying the mouth, the, the, the ribs. So I started looking the word ribs up in the Bible. And a rib is a bone. There's all kinds of ribs in the Bible, fifth ribs and all that stuff. But I found interestingly that, that bones in the Bible represent structure. Physically, it's a structure. If you didn't have a bone, you wouldn't, you'd just kind of be laying down the seat. We'd have to kind of, are you all here? Your bones give you structure. I tell you what, if you're hurting in your structure, you're, you're, you, don't, you don't operate right. Bones are structure. When they crucified Jesus Christ, they did not break one bone, fulfilling the law. In other words, they did not break the law. So when you look at this, bones represent structure, order, law. Now, this bear in Revelation or Daniel 7, 5 is a bear that has three ribs or bones in its mouth. Three structures of law, three structures of government are in its mouth. I'm not going to try to guess what they are, but I'm saying Ukraine, as Brother Sal mentioned on, I uh, think, Sunday night, last Sunday night, is that the bear may be having one of the three ribs in his mouth by taking Ukraine. And we find in the same verse, the bear will not stop there. He goes on to say that he will arise and devour much flesh. Again, could all of this be happening by just, just, just a happen chance, it's just, just, just a, a coincidence, and a, it's not anything to it. Is it possible that Daniel chapter 7 is different than Daniel chapter 2, or it could be laid on top of one another, but a dual fulfillment in chapter number 7, precursing the Gog and Magog war, which precurses the war or the kingdom of the Antichrist, which goes to Armageddon. It's a very interesting note. Let me just finish with this. It's a very interesting side note. Russia has invaded. Russia will not stop. And I want to stop here and say we need to be praying for the people, the innocent people of Ukraine. My son was singing a song to me this morning. And we are going to learn no more war. No more war. We have war colleges. We have point. We have all kinds of colleges to learn war. But there's going to be a day that there will be no more learning of war. And that will be the kingdom when that comes. Right now, we're in wartime. We're in spiritual warfare, physical warfare. And those people that are there, we have missionaries that are there that are in danger. A lot of danger. But I want to say this while I'm here is that verse number four came before, before verse number five. First beast. Second beast. I don't have time to really deal, deal with this. But it's mentioned as a lion with the wings of an eagle. Now, Britain's symbol is a lion. And you know where I'm going here. America's symbol is an eagle. And it's just interesting, isn't it? 1944, it was the war was finishing up. The world leaders, 44 world leaders came together. They said, we need to have a post-war economy. We had gone through the Great Depression, massive war with, with Germany and the, and the Japanese Imperial Army. World leaders came together. We need to have a world uh, 
a new world order. We need to kind of come together. There was a man by the name of White. He was a Jewish man that actually came up and drafted what we have today. It's called the Bretton Woods Agreement. 44 nations signed on to this agreement. And basically it was this. America said, you know what? Here's what we'll do. We're going to pin our currency to the, to the gold standard. And we're going to take every gold ounce and back our currency at 35 dollars an ounce. And all the world will trade for U.S. dollars to get oil. It's called the Bretton Woods. You read this, Bretton Woods Agreement. Interesting study. As you look at that, 44 nations signed on to that. The only nation that did not sign on to into that was Russia. Russia, for the 76 years, past 76 years, a nationalist Russia said, we're not part of the new world order. We're not going to go along with this. And they've sort of been on the outs. But America and Britain right now are sort of the head of the International Monetary Fund, the Federal Reserve, on the U.S. dollar. But we find in verse number four that the feathers are taken off. Now, last time I checked, unless I looked, I actually I was going to bring a picture of an eagle with no feathers. You're talking about what the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. I was going to show it to you, but it really was disgusting looking. But when you get no feathers, you can't fly. And the eagle is not going to fly. And I'm saying this. I'm just laying this together, piecing this together. Who knows? I mean, I'm just giving you the ideas here. But it could it be that a massive shift has happened where now the eagle and the lion are being now taken over by the bear. I don't know. I don't know. But it does bring up a very important question. What do we do? I'm glad you asked that. I think, number one, we need to share Christ. Amen? Amen. If anything, this should, pro, this should push us to get the gospel to as many people as we possibly can. There were 40 people at the Elmwood Bible study this week. There is a hunger right now that we have not seen in years. Churches have started at 70, no, 87 men at the Bible study on Tuesday night. People are sort of perking up. They're wanting to know what the Bible says. We need to be sharing Christ. Number two, we need to share Bible prophecy, guys, ladies. I mean, we need to be sharing. You need to know what Bible prophecy is, but share it. People say, what's the Bible say about that? Well, share what the Bible prophecy is. Number three, listen to this, and we're just going to finish with this. And by the way, do you realize Peter's sermons in the book of Acts, Paul's sermons in the book of Acts were sharing Bible prophecy. You look at those sermons, thus it is written, thus it is written, and it was fulfilled. Interesting thing. Number three, we need to stay faithful. Stay faithful. Luke 18, 3, 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to the house of God. Stay faithful in your witness. Stay faithful in your Bible reading. Stay faithful in your living for God. This is a great days to be alive. Stay faithful to God. What should we do? Well, how about this one? We need to look for the return of Christ. Keep your eyes on the eastern sky. Amen. Look for the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming shortly. And I think if you look for that and you want that and you desire that, I think it's very clear that you're going to want to do this. Because 1 John 3 says, Every man that hath this hope in himself, purify purifieth himself. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, you and I ought to be ready for the Lord's return. Amen? His wife, the Bible says, hath made herself ready. We ought to be getting ready.
purifying ourselves. We all ought to have any unconfessed sin. Amen. We should not have all that filth and junk in our life. Clear it out, man. Get right with God. The trumpet's going to sound. The Lord is coming back. We might be seeing Daniel chapter 7 prophecy being fulfilled. I might not. I might be totally off. I may have lost my marbles. Okay? I may be totally off right now. And you can stow me in the parking lot after church. Levi will be in front of me. (laughs) But I'm saying tonight, the bear is definitely on the move. But I want to say this at the 9 o'clock hour. So is Jesus. So is Jesus. The Lord's coming back. His book is true. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent. It can happen at any moment. Are you saved? Are you living for God? Are you following the areas where you ought to be increasing? We ought to leave different tonight today than we came in. Because we're seeing things happen that are just astounding, biblically, that are happening.